Well, I know what I'm going to do when the service is over and I get back to my phone and get it turned on. First thing I'm going to say is, okay, Google, set a reminder for 7 a.m. Wednesday morning to pray for our students at the poll. And uh, maybe that just activated your phone and now you're going to remember to do that too. We'll see. And I know a couple of moms are thinking, hey, maybe that photo thing is a great time to get our Christmas cards done, the photo for the Christmas cards done. And so uh, and it actually would be a great opportunity for those, and you'll be able to retrieve those. So we really looking to, are looking forward to a, a fun Sunday next week. We've come to our, the time in our service where we return our focus to the Scriptures. We believe that the Scriptures contain God's truth for us, And we understand the promise of that truth, that the truth has the ability to set us free. So we always spend a considerable time in our services looking at and seeking to understand the Word of God so that we can know the truth, and with that, the truth can set us free. We know that really, ultimately, any really next steps we take with God in terms of kind of moving down the chain of growing spiritually ultimately is, is, a, is a mind thing, right? We need to be transformed, as the scripture says, by the renewing of our minds. We need to figure out how to change what we think. And so with that, we've been working, we always work out of the scriptures trying to get ourselves to deal with that. And, and today we're going to complete a three-week journey that we've been on related to the issue of prayer in our lives. The vast majority of us would say, I need to grow in my prayer life. You know, I pray, but I don't really pray the way I should. Or I know that prayer doesn't really impact me the way that it should. And so we we look at our lives and say, I have room to grow in my prayer life. And so we've been looking at some things related to prayer. And we've we've been functioning underneath this premise. That if we want to pray, we'll figure out how to pray. If we want to talk to God, we will figure out how to talk to God. So instead of looking at the how parts, we've been looking at the want part, right? If we really want to communicate, we'll figure out how to communicate with God. You know, um, many of you have had the same experiences. When my children were real little, you know, 18 months old, 12 months old, and they couldn't talk yet, they still didn't have any problems with communicating, right? I mean, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? We, we have this video that would embarrass one of our children. They're sitting in one of these things where they can walk around in it, but it's also like a food tray. And, and we're feeding them with a little spoon. And every time when they were ready for more, it's like, mm, mm, you know, and they're ready for another spoonful. Couldn't talk, but they could communicate, right? Because they wanted to. We, if we want to pray, we'll figure out how to pray. So we've been working on the want side. And, and we've really been looking at what the, the three major things that drove Jesus to pray, right? We've been looking at prayer from the perspective of trying to learn how to talk to God like Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is God. So prayer for him is a little different than it is for us. And, and so part of the reason Jesus in his incarnation time when he was here on the planet, part of the reason why he prayed was because he just actually loved talking to the Father. He'd spent all of eternity before this point in time. He'll spend all eternity after that having perfect communication with the Father. And while he was here, he just missed talking to his dad. And so he just set aside all kinds of time to talk to God. And, and there's this aspect we, begin, we looked at, what are some things that we can do? What are some things we can or, or 
organize our lives around, our prayer life around, that actually draws us to want to talk to God. The other aspect that we saw was that Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus prayed is because his mission in life was to do the will of his Father. Now, before he was incarnated, and after the incarnation, when he ascended and was resurrected and ascended, that wasn't a struggle for him. But while he was here on the planet as one of us, where he's fully God, but he's also fully man, his humanity made him, drove him to a place where if he wanted to fulfill his mission to do the will of God, he needed to pray. Because it is instinctive and a part of being human is a need for us to pray in order to do the will of God. I mean, he was very clear in a number of places in the scriptures. He says, I have come and my will is, do, is to do the will of him who sent me. And he says, the only way that's going to happen is if I pray. And so he prays. And, and, and we see that most specifically maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane, that last night of his life, that crucial moment when he's ready to give himself up. And he says, you know, Lord, if this, if this can go in a different direction, I'm all good for that. But not what I want, but what you want. And prayer was an essential element in him fulfilling his mission of actually doing the will of God. And really, some of what will draw us to pray is the intensity of our own desire to be the people that God wants us to be. Because that's not going to happen without prayer. But the last reason that Jesus prayed, outside of it, is just his love of talking to God, his, his, his passion to do the will of God, was he prayed just to set us an example. And so Jesus prayed all the time, right? He prayed in the morning. He prayed at night. He prayed in between. He prayed by himself. He prayed with others. He prayed in crowds, right? He, he, you know, he prayed all the time, and he prayed about all kinds of things. He prayed before miracles and before meals and after miracles. and He prayed all the time. But one of the things that happened was along the way, instinctively his disciples asked him, you know, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? You know, this is something that the followers of the various rabbis did. It's what the followers of John the Baptist did. And in turn, the disciples of Jesus said, you know what? I, I, I could use some help in my prayer life. Would you teach me how to pray? Because obviously you know how to pray. And we find a, a version of that, a copy of that prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, it's okay. We have Bibles for you. They're underneath your chairs. And, if you, and you'll find Matthew chapter 6 on page 817 of the black Bibles that are underneath your chairs. If you're using your own Bible, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. And so it's about two-thirds of the way into your, your Bible. You'll come to the beginning of the New Testament and you'll find the Gospel of Matthew. And we come to chapter 5 and six, and seven, and we immediately recognize that it is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is, if you will, laying out his new constitution about how the new kingdom is going to work that he has brought to inaugurate. And, and he gets around to chapter six, and he looks at the three major spiritual disciplines or practices that people did in order to get closer to God. He looks at almsgiving, he looks at prayer, and he looks at fasting. 
Now, almsgiving was one of these ways where they tried to live out this requirement to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as a part of kind of dealing with materialism and being self-focused and etc., part of what they did is they, they looked to serve or to care for the poor, right? And so with that, Jesus um, taught about almsgiving. He also taught about prayer. We're going to look at that today. He also taught about fasting. Fasting was kind of rooted in the idea of, 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 of we need to understand that, that we need to submit our bodies, if you will, to God's leadership, that the spirit kind of needs to have mastery over the physical, and with that they practiced fasting, and they set that time aside. Now the difficulty that had happened and this was that what had been designed as a gift from God, a, 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 a physical life activity that we could do that could draw us God, closer to God so that it was God-focused had now all of a sudden become man-focused, right? I give alms so everybody can see how great I am, and it raises my reputation. So this spiritual discipline was no longer faced, rooted around getting closer to God. It was about elevating ourselves in our own eyes in the eyes of everybody else. Same with prayer, and that's why Jesus said, you know, when you pray, you know, your heart shouldn't be that you want to stand on the street corner so everybody gives you credit and pats you on the back and they're going to vote for you in the next election because you're holding your sign out there with your name on it. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, you should really pray like you're getting alone in your own prayer closet. It's just about you having a transaction, an encounter with the living God. And, and right on down the line related to fasting. But in the midst of that, Jesus gives us a model to pray. And we find that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And, and I'd actually ask you to, to say this or read this with me as well. We'll bring the passage up on the screen. Matthew chapter 6. Would you say this with me? Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't think for any of us that's the first time we've ever seen this prayer. It's not the, the only time we've ever said this prayer. I mean, it's something that we're familiar with. But in the midst of that familiarity, I want to draw out some points for us in in a a more general sense, and to get more specific back to our premise that if we really want to talk to God, if we want to talk to God, we'll figure out how to talk to God. And we'll try to draw out some pieces about the want side of things, what, what in this model prayer drives us to be a people of prayer. But first of all, I, I, we need to be crystal clear that when we look at this, we refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, but it's really not. It's a prayer for disciples. Now let that sink in for a minute. We refer to this as the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to keep calling it the Lord's Prayer because that's just what we do, right? But this is not a prayer that Jesus needed to pray. This is a prayer that Jesus put together for his disciples to pray. And it really is a disciples' prayer 
It's not the Lord's Prayer. If you want a real sample of the Lord's Prayer and the ways that Jesus prayed as the Lord, go look at John chapter 17, where he's, he's talking about the, the kinds of prayers that he's offering for you and I who are his disciples. But when we use this idea of, of, of it being the disciples' prayer, we, we, here's one of the things that we need to understand. There is a big difference between saying this prayer and praying this prayer. If that's one of the things you need to write down, if you're taking notes today, that's what, there's a big difference between saying what we call the Lord's Prayer and actually praying the Lord's Prayer. See, this is not a prayer just for everyone. This is the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer of someone who's ready to say, I want your will to be done, not mine. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven, since you and I reside on the planet that's called earth, that means God's will has to be done in our lives like it will be in heaven. And, and this is not a prayer that just anybody can pray. It's the prayer of a disciple who's saying, I want to follow after God. I want, I want to do what God wants me to do. And that's what drives our prayer. And, and, and so it's not just a prayer for anybody. In order to pray this prayer, you can't just say it. You have to mean it. And that means you have to be a disciple, right? Same with honoring God's name, not leading us into temptation. You know, Lord, forgive us. Those are all expressions that come from somebody who says, my heart is oriented around seeking after God. And, and that's the only way that this prayer really comes to life. Because it's not the Lord's prayer, it's the disciple's prayer. And it can only be prayed by someone who's truly a disciple, somebody who wants to follow after God. And so it's, that's a, an incredibly important point for me to get and for you to get. It's not just about saying it, it's about praying it. The other thing is that this prayer, you know, it, it, it has value as a, as, a, as a form of prayer as well as a model for prayer. And, and what I mean by that is that this, this prayer has great value when it's prayed verbatim, when our heart's in it. You know, there are occasions here at Hope Chapel when we, when we together pray the Lord's Prayer. And we, we facilitate us saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. And we, and we say the prayer together. And it has tremendous value doing that. And whether you're doing that personally or whether we're doing that corporately, and very, the very expression, Our Father, seems to indicate that it has a place in our corporate prayer together, that, that when we, you and I pray it and we mean it and we're engaged in it, the actual words themselves have tremendous value in being communicated to God from our own hearts. But at the same time, in just a few verses, Jesus is going to warn his disciples about, hey, listen, don't just go through the motions of prayer. Don't just memorize something you can say without thinking about it. And just let it run along, right? You know, and, and, and so, you know, he says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who really don't know God. Don't be like those who don't really know God as Father, 
right, who just engage in all this verbatim stuff. They, they go through their ritual verbatim things, etc., just trying to get their God to do something. That's not the way I want you to pray. Because you're not trying to, you're not trying to bug some God into doing what you want him to do. You're having a conversation with a father who cares about you. And, and there's a, a huge difference here. You know, most of the ancient world thought about God as being capricious, right? They, they didn't really think about the gods as caring about them. In fact, part of their mythology that they had from some of the gods that they believed existed was that one god punished his son because his son gave fire to humans and because it made our lives better, he got exiled. I mean, that's the kind of way they thought about God. And so they're, they're begging God out of these... That's not the way God wants us to talk to him. It's not about, it's not about endless repetition but it has value for us when we pray it and we mean it. But it is a model for prayer. You know, when you think about this prayer, when you really slow down and mind it a little bit and that kind of stuff, you know, it, 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 it talks about our past, right, our sins. It talks about our present, our daily food. It talks about our future, our need to be led, and that we're going to be in God's kingdom. His kingdom's going to come, right? It, it talks about our physical needs, daily food. It talks about our spiritual needs, needing to be forgiven. It talks about our relational needs, right? In terms of forgiving those who have sinned or the, forgiving our own debtors, depending upon the word that you use, right? And, and, and it goes right, it, it involves father as the provider. It involves the, the son as the source of grace where we get the forgiveness. It involves the Holy Spirit who is our leadership in our lives. It involves everything, right? It, it, it's in, in these few little verses says, there's not a single part of our spiritual journey. There's not one part of our lives that is separated and secluded from the need to pray and from, and from the involvement of God. It, it's, it's an incredible passage for us. And, and yet, so, so what is it in this prayer that God would say to us that should really draw us to be people who pray? Again, if we want to pray, if we have the desire to pray, if we have the urgency to pray, we're going to figure out how to pray, right? And actually, prayer isn't all that complicated. It's actually you talking to God, right? It's not some new language you've got to learn, you know, some remote African dialect that you, you know, it's not the, it's, it's just you talking to God and what comes out of your heart. And so it's not all that complicated. But what is it in this prayer that we would really draw us out? And, and one of the things I think it helps us and Jesus starts right up front with this, is that what should draw us to pray is, a, is it truly acknowledging, recognizing, appreciating who it is that we get to talk to. It's our Father who art in heaven, right? This isn't like calling up your best buddy saying, hey, I got a problem. Would you help me with this? You know, and, you know, and I know you're as stupid as I am, but I'll take any input I can get now. You know, I mean, that's not what we're doing, right? We're, we're talking to the unique, singular being over all of the planet, right? Who's absolutely different from us, but who has communicated to us unreservedly that he cares about us, wants to be in our lives, has a plan for our lives, seeks to bless us, et cetera, et cetera. Just go right on. To, and this is the one that you and I get to talk to. And when you and I appreciate who we have access to, when we acknowledge and recognize who it is that we actually get to talk to, it should really spark our desire to pray, right? You know, it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, I, I, 
One of the things that came to my mind this week, and I thought about this imagery of, of just having this tremendous sense of, 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 of appreciation for who it is we get to talk to. You know, it's interesting that in, in, in more modern times, some of our, some of our, our presidents have, have made the determination, have made the commitment that because the Oval Office is such a special place, they would never go into it unless they were properly dressed. So I, th- I think one of the guys, and, and I did a little research, Ronald Reagan, one of the things he said, I'm never going to go in the Oval Office unless I'm dressed in a suit. Because when I, know go, when I go in there, I'm going into a special place, and I don't want to go unprepared. I'm not going to go in in tennis shorts and a pair of flip-flops and a sweaty T-shirt. You know, that's not what I'm going to do. He said, when I go in there, I'm going into a special place, and I'm going to wear a suit. Because he had appreciation a recognition of the significance of the place where he did his work. I got to tell you, you and I ought to have a sense of appreciation that when we say, Lord, I have something for you, we're stepping into a place and into the presence of someone who lives in an eternal, universal Oval Office, right? Somebody who's on the throne of all eternity, right? And it's just a, a, a tremendous and, and, and when you and I recognize that in our journey, whether we're just given thanks or we need God's provision or whether we need his leadership and direction, whether we need God's protection, you know, we're asking God to use it. Whatever it is, when we recognize we're asking the person who put the moon and the sun and the stars in the sky, brought us to life out of the dust like we sang about just a little bit, and has decided to give us the supreme role in this planet. You know, this is the one that we are talking to, right? And it should just say, I I ain't going to give up that opportunity, right? I'm not passing on that. I'm going, right? Uh, and, and, And so we need to have a full sense of appreciation of the one that we're talking to. Here's the second point I want to make. You know, I, I already spent some time talking about the fact that this is really not the Lord's prayer, it's this disciple's prayer. And, and I think what will draw us to be people of prayer is if we recognize whether or not we really are disciples or not. We need to be honest disciples, right? So look, we can look at this in several different ways. Let's just start, start out with, with when we say the words, our Father, is that true or not? Is God, because of your relationship with him, through the commitment that you've made to his son, is he truly your father or not? And it's not just a general belief in God. It's not something you just inherit from your grandparents or from your parents. Jesus doesn't have any stepsisters and brothers. He doesn't have any second or third cousins, right? It all comes down to the fact whether or not we have made a personal choice to enter into a relationship with God as our Father. And sometimes we we say these words, but we're really not a disciple, because God is really not our father yet, because we have not had that experience. We have not committed ourselves to being his child. You know, and, and 
you know, I, I just to quip some, you know, so well, you know, I'm here in church on a Sunday morning, you know, and I, I, th- this is this is very quippy, if you will, but you know, I, I had a friend of mine I put it this way one time, and maybe not the most constructive, but I'm going to use it anyways, right? You know, sitting in a church building on a Sunday morning doesn't make you any more of a Christian than sleeping in the garage makes you a car. Now, it can help you be a better Christian. It can help you make you a better disciple. But just sitting in a church building on a Sunday morning does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you have accepted for yourself by a personal choice the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. Period. There's no other way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what makes us a child of God where we honestly can pray our Father is that we've entered into a relationship with him because we've accepted the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ and we've invited him into our lives. And to the best of our ability and with a growing faith, we're seeking after him as our Lord and our Savior. And until we pray that kind of prayer, until we're ready for that kind of relationship, prayer is always going to be a struggle for us. Because what draws us into it is the acknowledgement that God really is our Father. And it creates that desire or our want. And, 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 I, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but that, our, that sense of our? Now, I, I was never very good at English, but I think that has the idea of being corporate, right? It's not just my father, though there's an element of it, but it's our father. So there's a sense that I have to be a part of a community, right? You know, um, I was reading some stuff this week and et cetera. One of the, one of the worst things we probably ever did in, the, in Christianity was refer to the church as a building. The four walls that are around us is not the church. And if you ever hear me refer to this physical structure as the church, correct me. Because I almost always try to say church building or the camp, our campus, because the church is the people. It's the community. It's the ecclesia, those who have been called out and gathered together. It doesn't have anything to do with the structure. We, we can meet, be meeting out in the park a lot, and we could be as much church. Now, you wouldn't like it very much if it was snowing or raining, you know, but, but still, we could still be the church, right? Because the church isn't the building, and, and somehow or another, we have to be connected with one another, and somehow or another, in the midst of that connection, there's a drive to pray for one another. And so there has to be this our sense that goes with it. You know, and, and that can just flow out into so many other areas. Not, not only do we have this personal relationship with God, but we have, this, we have a relationship with God's people. But with that, there's also this, this sense of being an honest disciple to say, when we say, thy will be done, right? Or lead me not into temptation. Is, is that really what we're praying or is that something we're just saying? Right? Because a disciple, one who wants to follow after Christ, says, don't lead me into temptation. Don't let me succumb to it. Don't let me give in to it. I really want to do your will. And that's what it takes. And we need to be honest whether or not we're really praying that prayer or whether we're just saying it. All right? There, there's also a sense in here where not only... Is there this, this tremendous draw to say, guess what? I get to talk to the sovereign Lord of the universe whenever I want. 
and just that draw. And not only is there the fact that we have this intimate relationship with God truly is our Father and we're trying to seek after him, but there has to be this acknowledgement of our need for God in our everyday lives, right? There just has to be this acknowledgement of God for, you know, again, you see this in here. There's, there's a request for the God's physical provision for us. And the, 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 actually the translation that we have of daily bread is really probably not really great in terms of the, the, the idea was much more of God, what do I need each day to live? Right. It's much broader than just, you know, having some bread and soup to go with it. Right. Kind of idea. But it's, it's, it's what we need health wise and in our, and shelter and food and water and, and all those kinds of, it's, it's much broader than that. It says, you know, God, give me today our daily bread. And, 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 and notice it's the idea of daily. God doesn't want to just dump his grace on us once and say, hey, I'll see you at the other end, right? Imagine what it would be like for you to say, all right, when your child can finally walk, doesn't need diapers anymore, and get their own cereal out of the cupboard, you just say, okay, here's all the money you're going to need to grow up. I'll see you when you're 70. You know, would you do that? I mean, say, no, because it's, it, it's stupid, right? Neither does God just say, okay, here's everything you're going to need. I'll see you at the other end. He says, you know what? The way this is going to work best is if I bear, buy you a pair of sneakers on Thursday, and when you wear them out six months from now and they got holes in them, I'll buy you another pair. <laughs> and it's to stay in connection, right? And no, you're not getting the $200 sneakers. We can buy the ones that are on sale, right? You know, and that kind of thing. I, I totally aside. I, the, I freaked out the first time when our oldest one finally went from kid's shoes to adult shoes. I mean, the sneaker was that much longer, and it cost twice as much. You know how that is, right? You know, and so, anyways, so, um, and, and, and so there's this need for us to be acknowledge our daily need and the fact that God wants us to go through that journey with him. He just doesn't say, Here, here's the whole thing, I'll see you at the far end. But, but our need for him to be engaged on a daily basis, spiritually, for his forgiveness on an ongoing basis, not the forgiveness of, of that which separates from us from him. That happened in Jesus Christ. But that which limits our experience of him. We need that forgiveness of that as we go through. You know, and then relationally, building our relationship. Other people hurt us and our ability to forgive and them to forgive and rebuild community. All that stuff is wrapped up together, right? And And... Here's the way I look at it. One of the struggles that you and I have, well, let me be more specific. One of the struggles I have is managing that, that wonderful fine line between being responsible before God and living self-sufficiently. Right? God, God wants you to be responsible. God wants you to be a good steward. God wants you to work hard to be wise, to do your best, right on down the line, right? You know, those who don't work, don't eat. That's what the scripture says, right? You know, we, there's some balances that go with it, but there's the whole idea that there, there needs to be an effort on our end. God wants us to be responsible. He wants us to be good stewards. God doesn't want us to be self-sufficient, like I can do this on my own. But when have I tipped from one to the other? And, and I, think, I think for me, the, the terminology that works best is, is who do I really think I'm accountable to? See, when I'm working out of a, of a, of a silo that says I'm self-sufficient, that I say, this is mine, and I'm only accountable to me 
for how I use it. When I'm being responsible, right? Then I look at it and say, this is what has been given to me and I'm accountable to him to how I use it. You see the difference? Because we get over here and say, well, I've done this. I've achieved it. It's mine. I can do with it what I want. I'll give God this little portion back, but the rest of it is mine. And when I think I'm only accountable to me, I'm living out of a spirit of self-sufficiency. I'm not acknowledging my need for God on a daily basis. But when I'm looking to be responsible, to be a good steward, to know that that which I have, the relationships that he's given me, not only the portion I give, but everything else, I am accountable to him on how I use it. And it is in that spirit of acknowledging our daily need for God, it drives us to pray. Right? Just because I did yesterday well doesn't mean I'm going to not screw up today. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, and, and listen, if you need any lessons in that area, just go look at some of the great leaders who have fallen off the cliff, morally and spiritually. There is no doubt that God used them in significant ways. There were days when they were acknowledging God's, their need for God on a daily basis, and they were living it. They got to a place where they got past that, and man, they just took a nosedive. And, and there's a sense in which what drives us to pray is say, God, I don't want to, I need you every day because I don't want to be, I, I, I'll be self-sufficient. I won't be responsible unless I'm really engaging with you in prayer. Again, we've been hammering away at this subject for a long time. And, and, and you know, again, coming back to our premise, if we want to pray, we'll figure out how to pray. And what I'm suggesting to you today, out of all the stuff that we're looking at, if you and I will embrace prayer and see it not as the way where we try, we embrace it as the way that God shapes us so that our lives are built around his agenda rather than to get God to perform in the midst of our agenda. It'll transform our prayer lives. Let me say that maybe in a little bit easier language. When our prayer lives are birthed solely out and asking God to change our circumstances, they're never going to be really all that dynamic. When our prayer life is birthed out of asking God to change us in the midst of our circumstances, that's when prayer is going to really happen. Let me say that again. It's not wrong to pray for God to change our circumstances. When you're unemployed, perfectly right to pray for God to lead you into a job. When you're sick, it's very appropriate to ask God to heal you. When, when, when you have a broken relationship with a spouse or a child or a parent or whatever, it's really appropriate to pray for God to fix it and to heal it and to bring it back together. And you can go right on down the list. It's appropriate to pray for God to change our circumstances. But when the heart of our prayer is only about God changing our circumstances, we're never going to really pray the way we're supposed to. But when the heart of our prayer is about God change me in the midst of my circumstances, man, prayer really begins to open up. God, no matter how tough it gets at work and no matter big of a jerk my boss is and how difficult are my employees, that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm going to be the person God wants me to be. Right? I'm going to, God, I, and, and, and God, change me in the midst of this. 
And, and it's powerful stuff. I, I you know, and I, I spoke to somebody this week, and they're in the midst of just really a, a tremendously difficult time. There's so many different odds. And, and, and they're asking me this question. This young woman's asking me this question. about, you know, what do I do? Is this okay? And that kind of stuff. And I said, the biggest thing that my heart is for you is that it's, it, you, you need to figure out who do you want to be before God and then let the actions flow from that. Because, you know, I, this happened, that happened, I wanted to, you know, no, 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 no. You, you want to be at peace because you want to be the person that you want to be in the midst of your circumstances, no matter what's going on in your circumstances. And, and, and so really the question that comes down to today in this message is, what are you really asking God to change in your prayers? Are you asking him just to change your circumstances? Or are you asking God to change you? in the midst of your circumstances. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of prayer. Confessionally, I say I I need to pray more. And I pray these truths that we've seen over these last three weeks, the truth that we've seen today, would draw me to pray like I never have before. And I pray that be true for those that are here, that it would start by being a child of God, to truly be able to say, my Father, our Father. And Father, for any that, aren't, that have not entered into that relationship today, even as we pray, it's my privilege to extend to them the invitation to say yes to Jesus. That they can become one of those who believes, and with that they're not going to perish, but they're going to have everlasting life. God, in these moments, we ask you to change us. Not just to change our circumstances, but to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.